Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another interview episode. I'm Amy, and today we're joined by a special guest, Josh H. Hello, everyone. So for those of you who weren't listening to the last episode Josh was in, this is his second time joining us, but for people who missed it, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, um, of course. My name is Josh H. Um, I am a 24-year-old uh, Vietnamese adoptee, and I'm currently living in Minnesota. Nice. Yeah. What are you doing with your life now? What are you up to these days? That's a very good question. So I guess for me right now is obviously we have this like COVID pandemic going on, which is crazy. Um, I guess, so I graduated from college almost two years ago, which is crazy to think about. Um, mm-hmm. I graduated with a degree in finance and information systems. And afterwards I worked a year in corporate America. Um, I thought that was good, but then afterward mm-hmm. a year, I was like, I really, for me personally, I really love traveling and I really love, um, getting new experiences. And so mm-hmm. I decided to quit my job and I, I'm currently getting my master's program in China right now. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I, so I was over in China for about five months getting my master's in, um, financial computing. And so then in January, COVID-19 hits and then, you know, I had to come back to the United States. So currently I'm finishing out my master's program and I'm not quite sure what I'll be doing afterwards. Um, I'm not quite sure if I want to go back into corporate or either in IT or finance or move out to maybe somewhere else or maybe go abroad again. So things are up in the air right now. Um, a lot of things that I want to do, but a couple of things that, you know, still need to do. And just kind of figuring out balancing between what I want in my life, my career, and um, different experiences. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with, like you said, with everything going on right now, I feel like a lot of people's lives are kind of up in the air for just, especially since we're living in America, everything's crazy. No one knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, things are definitely a little crazy right now. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to just like enjoy the little things. Um, I, you know, spending a lot of time with, you know, high school friends who I haven't seen in a while because I'm back home, could it be with family. So I think that's really good too. Um, so awesome. yeah, it's a, it's been a really nice time um, or enjoying the time that I didn't have before. So I'm taking that time now. Yeah, that's really, I'm glad that you're able to find and take like enjoyment out of everything going on. That's really important. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, important to stay optimistic. So, growing up um, in Minnesota and just in general, what was it like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Minnesota is a very interesting state. Um, So, I grew up in a rural part of Minnesota. It's a very, very small town. It's, it's, um, the town I lived in was only 1,500 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, super small. Um, and the class I graduated with only had about a hundred kids. Um, so it was, a, and it's mostly a white area too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a, one of those kind of small, like rural America towns where like, you know, you grew up, you knew everyone. I knew everyone in my grade, everyone below and above me. Um, and, uh, I mean, I had some really good friendships. Uh, it was for the most part, I'd say like a pretty normal, uh, childhood growing up. 
Um, the one thing I will say though, it's uh, it was really white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like um, I was like pretty much the only kid of diversity really in my grade. Um, wow, yeah. yeah, and um, that definitely, I think it didn't affect me growing up, but I realized how much it affected me later on in life. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that there was not many opportunities kind of to learn about either an Asian culture or kind of really Vietnamese culture. And um, I definitely felt like once I went to college and I started meeting other Asians from different um, areas or walks of life, um, I couldn't relate to them as well. And so yeah. I felt very kind of isolated because I felt, you know, I felt like too, like too Asian to be white because of my skin, but then too white to be Asian because like I didn't have that cultural background. So, and you know, a lot of adoptees kind of have that similar feeling uh, kind of going to college too as well. Yeah, for sure. That must've been a really big culture shock for you from going up, you know, one of the only people of any kind of color and then all of a sudden, know bam you're in with other people that's crazy yeah it was it was uh i mean it's a transition and you know it's a transition that i'm still making today um slowly but surely so things i've done to do that is you know i started learning an asian language i've traveled extensively in asia so um those are just like small things that i have found personally fulfilling for me mm -hmm. um so yeah and it was pretty good um outside of just like the whole predominantly white thing. I think the other thing too is I did experience um, just like, I, and we, we talked about this in our last podcast a little bit, just like some small forms of racism, just like people would make fun of me for being Asian, whether it be jokes about your eyes, jokes about like your skin, jokes about like things like that. You know, and most of these, most of these times they're coming from, you know, quote unquote, your friends who were just like, like to like rib each other and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, you learn to kind of get a tough skin and learn to like kind of shrug things out of your shoulder. So it was a, it was an yeah. interesting experience to say the least. Absolutely. I, especially if you're one of the few people of any kind of color in the community, it's even harder for people to tote that line between this is okay joking, this is not okay. It, it's all one big gray area because they're just not used to it too. Oh yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And um yeah i mean my, granted i mean i'm still in touch with a lot of my friends from high school and they're uh good friends it's just that um sometimes you know those jokes when it happens over time it definitely can wear on you and i definitely know yeah. from so i actually have a younger adopted sister and she mm -hmm. i think also had a very hard time in high school and she also got i would say definitely got bullied and she actually mm -hmm. transit. She switched high schools um, oh. midway through. And I know for her, she she did make some friends in her new school. But I and I think it was a good choice for her. It's just that it was definitely a rough experience. And you know, I I think looking back, if one thing I could tell my parents growing up, if there's something they could have done, I said I would have said I wish there would have been more, um, been a place of diversity so we can like feel free yeah. to be more of ourselves instead of kind of conforming to this like um, white rural America um, place. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that your sister was able to, it's awful that she had to transfer, but I'm glad that she was able to make friends. And, you know, it sounds like she, it was a good decision in the end and it really helped her soul overall. 
yeah, I think I think it did help that. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was uh, I think a really good experience. Or well, it was just an ex- I'd say an experience uh, growing up. So yeah, I know my friends they used to call me Asian, you know, and it, who cares? You know, I was to be fair one of the only Asians in the school. But now you know, coming up to a place with more diversity and stuff, all of a sudden people yelling Asian at me. It it uh, is a little bit more jarring now that I'm not the only Asian person in their in their lives. <laughs> they would really do that to you? Yeah, yeah. That was, that was like my nickname. <laughs> wow. Yeah, now that I'm older, it sounds uh, way more nuts uh, saying it as, you know, not like in a more developed or not developed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Looking hindsight's 2020, I guess, as they say. Right. Yeah, I guess, you know, and, you know, growing up, I had, like, similar experiences, too. And, like, before I wouldn't be, like, comfortable calling it out. But mm-hmm. I think definitely I reached an age now where I'm more comfortable with myself and my identity that I'm able to kind of call out those things and say, like, hey, you know, that's not cool. I don't feel comfortable if you say those type of things to me. So. Yeah. I think that, you know, becoming comfortable with the identity, that is a big journey. It's something that we never kind of stop with. Were there things that kind of helped you reach that point? Um, how did you feel about talking about, you know, what you identify with? I definitely, so for me growing up um, in a right white area, you know, if you think about it, my family is white. So my parents um, and my extended family, my grandparents are white, my teachers are white, and my friends are white. And so for the longest time, I think all the way up into college, really, I identified really as a quote unquote white person. The big transition for me kind of coming in terms of my identity as like an Asian American really happened actually when I did a study abroad in 2017 and I studied abroad in Singapore. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a really cool experience. I got to do there for uh, four months at uh, Singapore Mm -hmm. Management University. I was doing uh, information systems over there. Um, and that was a fantastic experience um, because I really, for the first time in my life, I was the majority. I was not part of the minority. Yeah. And, um, you know, whether it be, you know, taking the um, subway to school, whether it be going out to restaurants to eat, whether it be going out to the bars, you know, there were people who looked like me. And that was just an amazing experience. And that really kind of made me feel kind of pride almost in being mm-hmm. Asian and being who I was. And I was really glad to have that experience because I met like a lot of local people there too. And, you know, they would ask me about America and what it's like there. And then like, they would share like their culture with me about like things that they like to do, like eating hot pot or drinking boba or different animes they like to watch. Nice. And I just kind of like absorbed it from them <laughs> almost yeah. this week. And like, just like kind of like, tell me more, tell me more what's it like growing up here in Singapore tell me more what it's like, you know, um, learning Chinese. And so um, that was actually a big transition when I started learning Chinese was in 2017 as well. And so I've been learning that language for about three years now. That's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very difficult journey learning Chinese. Chinese is a not an easy language, especially for English speakers. Yeah. Um, but 
So I've been learning it for three years. And then um, a big reason actually why I wanted to go get my master's in China was to improve my Chinese language ability. So, um, and I actually now I'm hosted, hosting with uh, Charlotte uh, Cotter, a Chinese language table that we host on Fridays. So we've been doing that for, I think every Friday for most of the summer. So that's been a really cool experience where we meet up with other adoptees and we speak Chinese with each other. I've seen you post about that. I think I'm in the group. I just, you know, it's like when you're a freshman in college, you sign up for all these clubs because you really want to do them. And then you realize your schedule does not permit all of these clubs. It was one of those things. Right. Yeah. But they seem like they seem like such a good idea. I was actually going to ask you about that. Like what inspired you to create that and everything? Um, Yeah. So the big thing was, is so when I was in, um, China, one area I was really close to, I was in Suzhou, China, but it was really close to Shanghai, China. And okay. I joined through, because I'm part of CCI too as well. I joined, I asked, hey, you know, is there any Chinese in the area? And it turned out there's like a, like, um, like eight or 12, eight or 12 of us in Shanghai. So I went to go visit them. And mm-hmm. it was really cool because I met a whole bunch of adoptees. We were in Shanghai. Um, we got hot pot together, which was amazing, and it tasted great. Yeah, so, it was super so good. good. And um, because of COVID hit, most of us who were in Shanghai, who were U.S. adoptees, we all came back to the United States. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I was missing being in the United States is missing the opportunities to speak Chinese, basically. So like, you know, before I was speaking Chinese, whether it's go buy things, going out to restaurants, hanging out with friends and stuff like that. Um, mostly speaking Chinese. And so I wanted to be able to kind of bring that back into my life here in the U.S. And so I asked, I reached out to those same adoptees who I met in Shanghai saying like, hey, you know, it'd be really cool if we could get together once a week and speak Chinese. They got on board. And then um, Charlotte too, I had, re- I had made a post and she's like, oh, I was just making this idea for CCI. And I'm just like, oh, well, we can do this together. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of how we kind of collaborated on that. And yeah. Um, yeah, we kind of made this like Chinese language group that will speak Chinese together. So it's not, it's not really something where, well, I guess the coolest part about it, I will say about this, and this isn't an, an advertisement for it, but yeah. the coolest part for me was that, um, you know, not all of our Chinese is super good. Mine is not like amazing by far, but we, it's kind of cool because all of our backgrounds is that none of our parents had taught us Chinese. And the only way that we could learn is if we want to go learn ourselves, either self-learning or through university. And so we kind of have this like understanding that like, we want to be like helping of each other, like to speak Chinese with each other and like be like kind of understanding and like not to be judgmental of each other. So it's really cool. That's really awesome. I think you've created a really safe area to like, practice and learn, which I think is really key when you're working with a language that you're not really familiar with, is just feeling comfortable trying to speak it. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really cool. And we've had some funny stories that we kind of tell each other about just like our experiences traveling and life. And it's, it's really interesting using Chinese. Um, yeah. One time we were doing like, um, we were doing like, I think it was just charades or something and someone had to describe or we were t- we were talking about anime. We were d- and someone mm-hmm. had to describe like Avatar: The Last Airbender, like oh. using Chinese. And, like, 
I'm like, this is awesome. Cause like, I know Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm a big oh, fan yeah. of it. I know like I can speak a little bit of Chinese. So like trying to mix those two together was <laughs> just a really awesome experience. So, so super funny. Fun. I wish I could have heard that like little snippet. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, it was a uh, it was a uh, pretty cool. So uh, yeah, and so I guess that's kind of been my journey. Um, wrapping that up is kind of being more comfortable with myself, my Asian identity, and uh, kind of like kind of um, just kind of connection with the culture. Yeah, for sure. So you're a Vietnamese adoptee, and you've lived in Singapore and China, and you've gotten really. Um, I would say you're pretty good at speaking Chinese, and you know, very comfortable with the language. Do you ever have a desire, or do you have a desire to learn Vietnamese too, or are you sticking with the Chinese for now? That's a good question, and a question I often uh, kind of get asked by uh, friends and family. So I guess the big thing for me was, you know, growing up, because I grew up in such a white area, I had no kind of concept of, like, what Asian was. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Singapore, kind of how the Chinese kind of came about was what happened is people would come up to me and speak Chinese to me because, you know, they think I look mm -hmm. Chinese. And when I couldn't respond to them, they would kind of get kind of disappointed in me. And oh. yeah, I felt bad. I felt bad. And they would ask me questions like, you know, um, you know, why can't you speak Chinese? Like, you know, did, why didn't your parents teach you? Like your parents must be bad parents for like not teaching you a language. So disheartening. Yeah, it was super disheartening. And that kind of, I kind of got mad about it because I'm like, you know, my parents are great parents. I don't, I felt kind of offended on almost their behalf. And so I was, when I came back, I was determined to learn Chinese. But as far as like, you know, why Chinese and why not Vietnamese? Um, the big thing, well, there's a couple things. One is like, when I got back to university back, I made international friends and just Asian friends in general. And the majority of them were Chinese. There's not a huge Vietnamese population by me, or I guess maybe kind of where I was, there was just a bigger Chinese population. And so, our, and just, I kind of met more Chinese people. And I joined a, I actually joined like a Chinese Christian church um, later on too. And it, I guess for me too, it was just like learning Chinese compared to learning Vietnamese. Um, there's more resources out there for learning Chinese. Um, there's obviously a lot more Chinese people out there in general. And so I think there's just a lot more like Chinese culture because it's so um, dominating across Asia. And so for me, learning like an Asian language, it kind of just made sense to be Chinese. However, saying that I do want, want to one day learn Vietnamese just for my own personal, and it doesn't even have to be good. Um, but I definitely think one day it would be nice to learn just a little bit of Vietnamese, just to um, kind of complete that like identity, find that like fulfillment, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know what, now that you mentioned it, you're right. I guess I kind of have a little bit of like privilege in that area is that like I am a Chinese adoptee and there's so many things out there for me to learn about my culture and learn the language. And you're right. I never, you hear about Chinese, maybe Japanese classes, sometimes Korean and colleges and stuff, but you very rarely ever see like Vietnamese classes or things like that. So I don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin if I was looking to learn that language or connect with that on a deeper level. Oh my gosh. 
Well, right. And I mean, think about this, like, you know, people call it like the Chinese New Year's, even though it's like a lunar New Year's for like most Asian countries, people call it like the Chinese New Year's. And like, if you even if you want to like read Chinese compared to Vietnamese online, there's just so much more online Chinese articles on there compared to Vietnamese. And, and even translated too. there's a lot more Chinese um, things out there. So in terms of like culture, language, and stuff, there's it's just like very, um, it's comparatively easier to find if you want to do that self search. And so that's kind of why I've naturally gravitated towards Chinese. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of been my story. And also, um, the other thing I want to mention on top of that, just while we're on it, is that most adoptees, if you look at SAT, are Chinese adoptees. Yeah. And so when I connect with other adoptees, and I really love connecting with other adoptees, it's mostly going to be either Chinese or Korean. There's not as many Vietnamese adoptees to connect with. Yeah. And so when I make friendships with people my age, they're most likely going to be a Chinese adoptee. And so being able to kind of connect with them about like Chinese culture, Chinese food, Chinese language, or things like that is kind of naturally where I've kind of also gravitated for. So um, culture and uh, within the adoption community is another big thing about that too as well. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Like now that you're saying all these things, I'm like, oh yeah, obviously, of, of course. I guess I never thought about it before. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's something that just kind of uh, happened, I guess, to say, and just kind of going where everything is kind of is, so. Yeah, so since you grew up in a mostly white town and you didn't really travel much until afterwards, were you connected with any other adoptees outside of your family or was it mostly your community until you got into like the later stages of your life? Uh, growing up, I did go once like a year to this culture camp for adoptees, um, for Vietnamese adoptees. But for me growing up, it, I, I mean, it's just once a year. So there were, like, I'm glad I had that because I've made a lot of connections with other adoptees. But outside of that, I didn't really have any connections with anyone who was Asian or any kind of cultural ties or like interest in learning about like maybe the music or food. And, um, you know, I think, I think like, and I think we said before, I feel like kind of growing up, I've kind of felt like maybe not good enough to be Asian in like a sense of the word. And so that's why I've spent, you know, a lot of years in my twenties kind of like trying to kind of catch up, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that people can relate to. It's kind of, I mean, not to name drop, but it's kind of that feeling of being in, somewhere in between two different cultures, different worlds, and not quite knowing where you fit in, quote unquote, or where to place yourself. People love to. Right. You wanna... Somewhere in between. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ayo. <laughs> but yeah. What is uh? What is your experiences with that been like? I guess Chinese culture and stuff. Yeah, it definitely for me, um, even though I am in a mostly white community, I think in high school, they did a, a poll of like the student body and it was like some crazy like 94.1 something percent white people. And it was like Asians were the next with like a 4.9 percent. It was very predominant, but we still had some Asians. Um, so I would spend time, you know, visiting my friend's house and their parents would you know, make me hot pot and make me ramen after school. So even though I I had like a nice little like bubble I could escape to, but still had like a lot of um, white influences in the community and, you know, getting that experience. My parents were also really great about trying to get me to 
learn my culture without forcing it on me. You know, they let me explore my interests without, you know, being like, you have to do this, which I, I think is something that I'm really grateful for now that I'm older. Um, so we would, you know, we'd celebrate Lunar New Year and, you know, they did the best they could. They tried to look up some things. They would, they definitely looked up Hong Bao, which is little red envelopes for those of you listening who don't know what that means. Um, they put money inside. Um, they would hang up lanterns. They weren't, you know, the most educated, but I think that they did the absolute best they could, and which I think is really appreciative. And I never felt like I was, you know, I feel like I mentioned this before. There is, there can be a fine line at least for me, I was always worried about appropriating my culture versus appreciating it and trying to learn and grow. And I think they did a really good job of respectfully showing them my culture without making me feel like I was like in some kind of school or becoming a caricature of being Chinese. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> that's awesome that you had that experience. Wow, that's really cool. And uh, that parents kind of gave you that space to grow in your own on your own terms. Yeah. My mom even asked me when I was little, I might've mentioned this before on the podcast, but she had asked me if I wanted to go to Chinese school. And I asked the my friend at the time who was also Chinese, Brent, I said, Brent, do you like Chinese school? Should I go? Like this was like six-year-old Amy. And he was like, no, I hate it. And I was like, why? And he was like, because it's school on Saturday, obviously. And I was like, oh, you're right. Obviously I don't want to do that. Toned it down. It's like the one of the biggest regrets of my life. But I, I know that if, my mom had forced me into it I would have been resentful so I'm like it's one of those things I kick myself for but I'm glad that my mom gave me the option but didn't make me do it right and you know I feel the kind of the same way because like I wish I would have spent more time learning about like what it is to like about Asian culture really growing up younger but um you know the thing is is like there's still plenty of time and the great thing about having an adoptee community is like they're really a great resource to kind of learn from people about like where you can find like you know if you want to learn the language they're really good at like helping you find the resources for that or like steps you can take for that or maybe it's the food or maybe it's anime so um i think all of us have like our own kind of um pockets of like where we like really enjoy about what it is to be kind of an asian adoptee and uh, we can definitely, I think it's one of the really cool things that in my experience is that sharing that with each other. And mm-hmm. it's been really something I've enjoyed. So definitely still plenty of time to learn. And if you have any questions about like learning Chinese or anything like that, definitely feel free to ask me. Thank you. I I say it's a lot like, oh, thanks. Like I'll totally do it. But like, I think I'll actually message you at some point. Cause that is something that especially with all this time on my hands, I really wanted to get back into exploring. My Chinese from college days is nowhere near what it, like it's definitely fallen off <laughs> since then. I definitely understand. I, I definitely feel like my Chinese has gotten worse since like coming back from China. So um, it's mm-hmm. something like you, you either use it or lose it. So that's one of the reasons why we made the table. So yeah, but uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that message. So I hope you uh, send it my way. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That must have been amazing too, just like living in China and being, they say that that's the best way to learn any language that is, must have been amazing. Yeah, it was great. I, uh, every morning I had um, baozi or dumplings in the morning. So that was delicious. <laughs> oh, really good. And uh, I mean, it's just a, it's just a crazy experience because like the city I was living in had 11 million people and oh, which is, 
right? I can't even imagine like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it, uh, it blows your mind. I always explain it to people. It's like, if you ever go to like the state fair and whatever state you live in, like there's usually just like waves and waves of people. And it's just like, it's like that at the state fair, but like every day. And it's like, whether or anywhere you go, they're just people. And uh, they have like, um, they have a saying like, uh, ren shan ren hai, which like people mountain people see. And uh, okay. it, it, it's like, they say it because like, it looks like there's a mountain or sea of people. And it's honestly true because there's just so many people. Oh my gosh. I just looked it up really fast. That's so New York City, which is what a lot of us Americans think is like the densest, most populous part of America. That's only 8.399 million, at least in, I think, last time they did the report. So almost 3 million more people than New York. Yeah, that expression makes total sense because I feel that way in other places, but 11 million people in one city. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard to wrap your uh, head around, but uh, and that's like a that's a tier two city. That's not even a tier one city. Oh so my that's god, like, what's a tier one? Jeez. That's <laughs> a it's it's pretty crazy. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, but it, you know, I I mean, I wish I could go back there. I don't know if I will be ever able to, but it was really a good experience, and I definitely want to um, go back if I can, just for even just a little bit to travel a little bit more before I come back and just like. You know, focus on my career, focus on like, you know, uh, making money or like advancing like other things in my life. So, yeah, that's awesome. I hope also one day you're able to, you know, experience those things again that you really miss about everything. It just sounds like a special kind of situation to be in or maybe not. I don't know. It sounds special to me, at least. (laughs) Well, thank you, Amy. Um, I think it, uh, it was really cool and I enjoy traveling, but, you know, I think one thing that I've gotten to do is that I've been able to become a really part of the adoptee community. And so I've been spending a lot of time, obviously doing the Chinese table and then, you know, working with SAT. So I think that's kind of my main focus, like these days, I feel like. Mm-hmm. How did, so those people who don't know, Josh is an admin for SAT, the subtle Asian adoptee traits that we constantly bring up on this podcast. How did you come to be involved with that? So that's a good question. So how I got involved with that is, so originally I'm not like a founder of the Facebook community. What had happened is I wanted a way for adoptees to, so have you ever heard of the subtle Asian adoptee confessions? Like they're a page on that. You'll see them post it like, and they'll say some really interesting things sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, that was actually my idea, and I'm actually oh. the person who runs that. Oh, that is so cool. I did not know that at all. Yeah, it, it, I wanted a way for people to be able to say things anonymously, because some people have maybe it might be things in their personal life or mm-hmm. something that like is really something they don't want to disclose to other people, but it's something that's important to them and related to adoptee or yeah. adopt. And so I thought like, oh, this would be a cool way to do that. And so I reached out to the admins and they're like, oh, this is a great idea. Do you want to be also an admin? And I said, sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it kind of just happened like that. And um, so I run the Adoptee Confessions page. And then I guess kind of over time, I've just kind of taken a bigger role as an admin because it's not originally what I signed up for, as especially as we've had encountered some problems here and there. But um, it has been... A really a good experience because I've really connected with a lot of other adoptees in the community 
mm. through different instances and occurrence. And it's been a really cool way to kind of, I feel like, give back because I do feel like there's a need for it. And yeah. I'm glad to kind of help other adoptees where I can. I think that's really awesome and really admirable that you kind of, you know, you started with one thing and just it's it kind of not snowballed, but like in a good way, snowball, there's such a thing into this thing that it is now. And it's it really is like this huge, I don't want to say movement, but, you know, huge upcoming and huge part of identity for a lot of Asian adoptees right now. I can't even imagine like that's it's so pivotal for a lot of us at this point in our times. Yeah, I think, especially with COVID-19, it's been a great way for people to kind of connect with each other while we're staying inside and, mm-hmm. and staying safe. And so really, um, you know, adoption has, I feel like, become its own subculture. And yeah. I mean, the, the group membership now is over 3,000. And it was, mm-hmm. I think, like, I think just under 2,000 when I came on as an admin. And so it's really kind of ballooned. I mean, I was looking some over some t- statistics that I was looking at some Facebook analytics and it's mm-hmm. crazy how much people are involved in the community. I was looking at it. And so on average, mm-hmm. um, on an average day, we have about 933 comments. Oh my gosh. Crazy. So we have about, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I couldn't believe it myself. I was looking at the Excel documents. And I'm just like, wow, that is nuts. And yeah. so we have a huge amount of comments. We have about, we average, we accept about, I think like 14 people a day. And then I think there's about like 32 posts every day. And so, yeah. you know, I'm sure you scroll through your Facebook and it's just like everything I feel like is about Salvation and Adoptee traits. Oh yeah, it's like the, it's the page for me to be on. <laughs> So um, it's it's really cool that so many people want to be a part of it and want to kind of um, want to kind of be involved in like one of their voices. So I think it's been really great because I made a lot of connections. I know other people who've also made a lot of other great connections to the group, and it's uh, really cool to help that in ways that I can and help give people an, an outlet to kind of. Um, express themselves in ways that they're not usually express themselves with either maybe with their friends or family because they're not adopted. Yeah. I remember I didn't know about the group. It must've been like, I don't know when exactly it started, but my friend had mentioned like to me, Oh, she's also adopted. Um, she said, Oh, like I just joined this Facebook group. It's like the spinoff of like the big, like subtle Asian traits. Like you should join it too. So I was like, Oh sure. Like, Honestly, in my mind, I was like, how big could it be? It's probably just like, you know, a couple hundred people, you know, nothing too big. But over time, it's just grown into like this huge, honestly, it feels kind of like a big old adoptee family. And it's just. Yes. In some ways, it is very much a family. What's, uh, (laughs) what's, I guess, I guess kind of curious is like, what's kind of your favorite way to interact with the group? Um. I'm definitely, when it comes to the Facebook page, I'm more of a lurker, to be honest. I'll like stuff or, you know, um, see, like, look at comments and stuff. But I, I'm always shy on Facebook in general when it comes to posting. So I never really comment unless it's, you know, something I, if I can get past the anxiety of posting something on Facebook, then I'll, I'll comment a little thing here or there. Um, but I recently started going to the Zoom calls, and that's kind of where I feel a little bit more comfortable and I really, even though I felt connected to the group and I, you know, I got to meet people, 
um, even through the podcast, like going to the Zoom calls, like I thought people were kind of like, I mean, I knew they were fun, but you know, when people say like, oh, you got to do this thing. I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Everyone's got to do it. But like, man, I, I started going and I'm like, yo, like you should really go to them because they're really fun. Like everyone's so nice, so welcoming. I'm meeting so many people and I just really feel like even though I'm like still a look on a Facebook page, I really feel like I'm in the community now, you know? Wow, that's great. I'm so glad that you've gotten uh, that experience from it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, those Zoom calls are really great. I uh, commend the people who've been hosting it, Aaron, Mats, Mats, yeah. um, and others people too as well who've uh, ho hosted it for other people because I think it's been a really great way to connect with others. And yeah. uh, I've really enjoyed it. So I'm happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, just with the set in general, I've really, for me, helping other adoptees is really important for me. So in addition to what I've done on SAD, I've also gone public speaking at like the adoptee camp that I grew up. Um, I'm currently helping out with another like adoptee organization uh, for mental right. health. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's something that I don't think it, it's something that has been kind of, especially right now, because I have the time, it's just been a big focus of my life right now. That's good. What is it like um, public speaking about this kind of stuff? That's been interesting. So what I've done for public speaking is I've talked to both adoptees, younger adoptees, like, you know, nine and 10 year olds and a, a parents. And so when I talk to different uh, groups, I kind of change kind of my message and like what I'm talking about, but the general themes are the same. Um, mm. Talking to parents, you know, for me, when I'm a public speaking, the biggest thing is I'm trying to make a connection with my audience. And so mm. I really kind of want to make things relatable. And so when I talk mm. to other adopted parents, I kind of kind of talk about like, I kind of emphasize my connection with my parents and say like, mm. you know, I really love my parents. You know, they've been a really great role models for me. And this is like, you know, the experience that I've gotten out of it. And however, I also want to say like, if I could talk to my parents, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, when I was these kids age, I would want this to be happening. And so I found that's been a really great way to connect with parents about like understanding like that um, being understanding of like your kids really care about you, but also like if you really want to help them out going in later into their lives, these are mm -hmm. kind of ways to do that. And it's like, kind of like you said, kind of what you've said before in this podcast, it's just like giving them that option to kind of connect with their culture and like having a little bit more diversity around them is like, I think really big things and something I kind of advocate for. Um, and then like, I've had parents come to me and like have me talk with their kids. So uh, I, I've done that a couple of times too, as well, if, um, nice. if they want that as well. Um, talking to adoptees, I've kind of, you know, for them, my big story is like telling them how they can be proud to be an Asian American and things like that, things that they can really celebrate about our identity and being yeah. proud to be that. Um, and just kind of saying like, or, and I kind of emphasize like, you know, I really love this, enjoy about things about being like, you know, having like that white culture, but then here's the things I really enjoy about like Asian culture yeah. and kind of, kind of like showing that like, you know, I kind of, I kind of think it's like, I kind of show them like, I am a cool dude, although I'm, I, that's debatable, but I kind of show them like, I'm a, <laughs> I kind of show them that I'm a cool dude and like, um, that, you know, being an Asian American is something that they can be uh, really proud of. You made some really great points. And I think that that 
it's really key, especially what you just said about, you know, you encourage them to be proud of who they are um, and their identity. But especially with the talking to the adoptee parents, shorthand for those who don't know, um, AP, um, I think that that's really a great way to, to start the conversation and kind of build that rapport. So they're in a space and a mindset to kind of listen and take in those the advice that you have to offer. I think a lot of the time in the adoptee community, the relationship between adoptee and APs can be, you know, tumultuous or there can be a lot of barriers, even with the best of, you know, families. So I think prefacing that conversation and emphasizing, you know, the good things and then the things that looking back, these are the things that I wanted to hear. I think that it's like such a great way to kind of open the door to those conversations. I hope that they it resonates with people because it sounds like it would. Right, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, you kind of nail, nail it on the head. I mean, as a parent, you have to kind of think about it that nobody wants to be told how to raise their um, child. And so having, like, telling them how to raise their child is very, like, sensitive topic. So I think if you kind of come in with this, like, understanding of, like, you're raising your child good, but there you could also raise your child better. I think that's a lot more, there's, there's a lot more bridge to connect with each other. And it's, it, it makes them very receptive to that, or which I found in my experience. Um, so yeah, very much so. Kind of like meeting them in the middle, like, hey, like you guys <laughs> are doing this, and here's my experience. You kind of like, like you said, build that, build that gap or build the bridge. I can't English, but you know what I mean? I think that's, that's awesome. And I'm, I mean, you said that you've done it a couple times before, so clearly they like what you're saying <laughs> yes i i've i've done it a few times so uh thank you uh, i i hope to be able to like i said um make a difference for other mm -hmm. adopt yeah i find that especially the people you know who are in their like mid to late 20s or even just you know up and coming after high school graduation there's just this overwhelming desire in a lot of us to just help each other and help the younger generation of adoptees. And I think that that is really, really special in the adoptee community. Kind of a, another thing that binds us together is like just our desire to help each other in our community. Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, that's, I definitely agree with that. I, I found that I, I've wanted to help adoptees as I've gotten older. Well, for kind of two really big reasons in my life. Well. Three, I guess, three three reasons. So the first one is that, um, one, I know I, I, I feel like I've been given like tools and skills that mm -hmm. kind of make me as a good person to help them. Because with my business background and my IT background, I feel like I'm kind of in a position of place where I'm able to kind of really use those skills I've learned in the private industry and in the mm -hmm. professional world and using those skills to kind of transition to help adoptees um, in like, you know, a, a personal setting. Mm -hmm. um, the second reason one is um, my sister who I've known, she's like a big um, thing for me. And mm -hmm. she's not really interested in learning about adoption or being Asian or anything like that. And I totally respect that. Um, but I want to be able, if she ever, I've kind of always kind of rationalized that if she ever does want to be able to learn more about that, that um, I would be there for her and like, help her in that way so that she wants to learn. So that's been a big reason why I want to learn about Asian culture and also give back to Asian adoptee community. Yeah. Um, and the third reason why is like, 
is because I, in my life, I experienced something <laughs> that had happened to me that was pretty traumatic. It had a huge impact on my life. And um, it is about another adoptee and why I really kind of wanted to get back. Oh, I'm sorry for whatever happened, but I, I think it's really admirable that you're able to turn something awful that's happened and find a message that you can kind of go forth. I think that's, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the adoptee community, I have met also a lot of adoptees who have had, you know, um, mental health issues and definitely my own experience in my life, it has been, um, there's definitely some where it's got gotten really bad. And so mm -hmm. it, it's so important to be able, for me, I think, to kind of find ways to give back and find ways to help others because I know how much of a problem it is. And, yeah. you know, cause like, you know, one thing I talk about in my speeches, what I say is like, you know, um, I think, you know, international adoptees are like 25% more likely um, to try to commit suicide because their adoption. And I think 50% more likely than other, like 50% uh, more likely to develop mental health issues. And I know personally a lot of other adoptees who've had issues with that. And so yeah. that's why I think it's so important to be able to try to build a community where you're not feeling like you're alone or you're not feeling like you're the only one who's going through these problems of not fitting in, of not feeling like you're like Asian enough, of not, you know, um, all the above. So yeah. that's why for me, I want to kind of really help players in terms of like building communities of like talking about it and helping others. Yeah. I think helping people find that thing or create that space that helps them feel less alone in the world. I think that's some of the most important things that people can do. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you're doing with this podcast is a great way for, to reach out to other adoptees and help them like, or just like letting them know that there's other adoptees who've been through the, their experiences and kind of sharing that. So I think that's a great way to help as well. Absolutely. Thank you, by the way, for saying that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> of course, no problem. Have you been able to go back to China or visit the orphanage that you were adopted from? I have not. I definitely want to go. It's one of the, like, I'm not a bucket list person. I've never been like, oh, I want to do these things, you know. But if, like, that is the one thing that I want to make sure that I do at some point in my life is to go back to China. And specifically, I want to retrace the, this sounds so cheesy. I might've mentioned it before, but I want to retrace the journey that my parents took when they went to adopt me. So go like take the, like fly into the city and follow around like the street place, like markets that they went to and, you know, go to the orphanage. And I just want to be this big cheese ball of crying emotion, basically. <laughs> but maybe one day. <laughs> what about you? I promise you it's emotional. So oh my gosh. <laughs> you oh. go back, bring some, uh, bring some Kleenexes because it's a, uh, it's a ride. Whew. Oh my gosh. I, I honestly, I think I want to see if any of the adoptees that I'm meeting on set would want to go with me that from the same general area. Yeah, if you can go with other people, I went with a close friend of mine when I went, so I would definitely recommend. It's it's a really cool experience, it's, and and honestly, great to talk to someone else about it 
because afterwards you kind of just want to um, just talk about it because um, it can be very emotional. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Thank you for the heads up. <laughs> yeah, just a, a, a forewarning or uh, for uh, anyone who decides to do that. And so I guess I can explain, and I guess maybe people's experiences will be different, but in my personal experience, so I went back to Vietnam after I got done studying abroad, I did this kind of trip around Southeast Asia where I went to um, Thailand and Indonesia and Malaysia and the Philippines. And then I went also to um, Vietnam as well. I'm so and jealous of you. <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel lucky because I've gotten to have the opportunities to do that during my study abroad. Um, so it was, it was a really cool opportunity. That's awesome. And yeah. So we flew in at the end for like a, just a short trip to Vietnam um, where I was born in Hanoi and I got, and we arranged it. I knew some people before and, and they arranged for me to go to the orphanage when we went, but you brought, um, I, I saved up some money. So I bought like a whole bunch of milk cause like the orphanage wanted milk for the kids cause they can't oh. get enough of that. Oh, and we got wow. some toys as well. So we got them like these like soccer balls and like a coloring book and like other like, and some like crayons to go with coloring book and like other just like um, toys that you can like hacky sacks, um, the kids can play with. That's and so, so well, yeah, I mean, it, I felt like I had to do it. Um, so we, we go to the orphanage. We, we brought a, a translator with because uh, most of them spoke Vietnamese. And so, mm -hmm. you know, walking into the orphanage, it was, it was a very emotional thing for me because, mm -hmm. um, there were very, you know, I just remember walking in and you just walk in and like, as soon as you walked into like any of the rooms, like all these like little eyes would like stare up at you. Mm -hmm. and by little, I mean like really young, like, you know, between the ages, like, you know, like one and like three and like, right. they would like look up at you and like, they like wondering if you like, were going to come play with them or like, well, why were you here? And like, they'd like say, oh, this is someone new. Yeah. And someone were shy too. And like, you know, you, you looked at these kids eyes and like, um, I remember staring in this little kid's eyes and I just like could see myself and oh, wow. yeah, cause I, um, and you know, they were super nice. They, they all spoke Vietnamese, which was kind of weird because like, I couldn't speak any Vietnamese. And, um, mm -hmm. so there was like a, a feeling of disconnect there, but, um, you know, I, I kind of, cause I, so there's some older kids there too, as well as kids who, you know, didn't get adopted at a young age. And, you know, you just feel kind of, honestly, you feel guilty. You feel guilty because you look at these kids and you're like, why did I get a like adopted and like these kids weren't yeah and I think about oh go ahead no I was just gonna say it's kind of like a, a different kind of survivor's guilt almost yeah yeah basically and you kind of like I think about me and like the opportunities I've been given to like you know go to college now I'm getting my master's degree like to be able to like you know I've done work in private industry before um mm -hmm. and so I think about like, you know, relatively, I consider my successes. I'm like, you know, I look at these kids and I'm like, these kids could be like just as great or greater, you know, if someone would just give them a chance, you know, mm -hmm. instead, yeah. you know, they're, they're here, you know, with mal malnutrition, not being able to get enough food education wise, like, 
you know and right. um yeah it's 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 emotional and um yeah and you know i remember the i got to meet one of the social workers there and they pulled up my file from when i was adopted um and she wasn't there when i was like a kid but she was mm -hmm. super glad to see me because a lot of adoptees don't choose to go back and oh. um always that's what she told me and you know i think the, the two questions I will never forget her asking me is she asked me two questions. One was, I was with a loving family. And the second one was like, you know, did I have a good education? And to both answers, I could say yes. And she started crying because like, for her to see the fruit of like all like, you know, the hours and hours that she puts in with, with these kids and helping them through their, like, you know, through the crying and through the diaper changing and through all that stuff to see that it actually makes a difference in these kids' lives and that it can be something. Um, I was really happy to thank her for the work that she did for these kids and um, to show her that, yes, it does make a big difference and it does have an impact. That is, I have like chills, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm really happy that meeting you and talking to you could give her such joy and I think that's awesome because she's doing such important work. Wow. Just, just wow. I mean, it's a, it's a thankless job, but yeah, yeah. she's doing um, really important work. So yeah. Oh. <laughs> My emotions. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, I, I, you know, I know a lot of adoptees maybe don't get the chance or opportunities, but I, if people can, I'd say to go back because for me, because I was almost getting ready to graduate college at, the, at that time and being able to kind of go be my past before I started something like in my future was, I think, really important for me. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to touch upon before we wrap it up? I guess one really thing important for me is I really, for the adoptee community, if those are listening, to stress the importance of mental health. Um, I know I kind of touched on it before, but you know there there have definitely been times in my life where I've had depression and I've felt really down in my life because of um, things that had happened to me. And um, you know I, I I for a while I, I'd been seeing a therapist too as well, and a, a therapist who was adopted, which was a really great experience for me because it could help. I feel like almost normalize my experiences. Like I'm not the only one who's been going through them. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it, it was a really, I had some really tough moments in my life. And so I just wanted to say that like, if anyone who's listening, if they have experience with those either in the past or now that, you know, that definitely feel free to like reach out to someone and uh, get help because it's so important um, to, you know, take care of your mental health and understand like, know the, the experiences you're going through is that you're not the only one and that there's other people and like people want to like to share you to share it with them and that the people are willing to listen so um i think it's it's really important and definitely if um if people want to reach out to me there feel free to reach out to me too as well so um yeah i i think it's important and I think it's something in the adoptive community that we should definitely um, normalize being able to talk about our mental health and just like saying Absolutely. like how we're feeling and like why we're feeling this way because um, 
I think it's good to make those kind of connections. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And for those people who are considering seeing a therapist for the first time, if you don't click with the therapist the first go, look for a different one because finding the right therapist for you is like making a new friend or, you know, getting in a relationship with somebody. It's everybody's unique. Um, and one therapist style and technique might not work for you. I know I bounced around for a, a couple weeks in college trying to find the right therapist until I found one that clicked. Um, but there is somebody out there who's going to be able to connect with you on the things and the issues that you need to connect with. So don't be discouraged if the first one or even a couple don't, don't feel right because you'll find one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I say that too, because I had the similar experience as well. And I think for me, in my experience, I found that having a therapist who is a person of color really helped. Mm. And when I was able to find a therapist who was, you know, a, a fellow adoptee, that was just like fantastic experience. Um, and I really enjoyed that and was able to, to have a good relationship with that. Um, how I kind of rationalize it is, you know, one thing I like to do is I like to go work out and because mm. it keeps my body in shape. And so how I rationalize it is like, you know, you work out to keep your body in shape. You should also like, you know, talk to someone to keep your mental health in shape. And, uh, and you know, I mean, if, if you have a friend too, or a close family that you like talking to, I think that's great too. But um, seeing a therapist can help, seeing a professional can, I think has like additional benefits and able to handle it out, handle like um, things that people are going through a little bit better. Absolutely. So yeah, um, that's uh, that's kind of my story, I guess. Thank you so much for for talking with me, Josh, and you know, coming back on the podcast. It's always a pleasure. It really is. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug or anything? Um, no. Uh, if uh, just uh, hopefully people, if people aren't on Sats, definitely encourage them to join Sats. Um, I think it's a really cool. Um, group to be a part of and uh you know chinese language table too is cool too so yeah <laughs> that's all i have really that's awesome thank you um so thanks everybody for listening to our latest episode uh tune in next week uh if you're interested in participating in one of these episodes you can email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to join our instagram family at somewhere between dash fam to stay connected with updates, casting calls, and more. See you guys next week.